Hello, I'm Sif Sivalurganathan. I'm a professor of applied mathematics at the University of Waterloo and director of the Centre for Mathematical Medicine at the Fields Institute in Toronto. My name is Pambe Bahia. I'm a neuroscientist communicator, and I'd like to welcome you all to Biology in Numbers, a podcast by the Society for Mathematical Biology. I hope you're doing well today, Siv. I, I am uh, uh, sort of approaching this with a little bit of trepidation, you know, see, see, how, see how it goes. <laughs> I don't bite, I promise. <laughs> so... The listeners, it's probably worth giving them a little preview to your work. And so what we challenge all of our guests to do is to describe their research in 60 seconds or less. Okay, that's a challenge. So let me let me give it a go then. So I guess you could say I use mathematics to understand and predict how diseases like hydrocephalus and various cancers progress in the human body. Uh, my research is interdisciplinary and uh, combines mathematics, statistics, computational techniques with uh, the medical and biological sciences in order to uh, better understand, model, and solve problems related to healthcare, disease, and medical treatment. Uh, the aim here is always to provide quantitative insights into various aspects uh, of medicine and healthcare. And these range from uh, disease modeling and epidemiology to medical imaging, drug development, and treatment optimization. As an area of uh, applied mathematics and uh, mathematical medicine, uh, it has gained, uh, mathematical medicine and mathematical biology generally uh, have gained prominence over the years, really due to uh, advances in computational power uh, and data availability. Um, I think it's fair to say that it has become an essential tool for the biomedical uh, researcher and healthcare professional in addressing complex problems and making evidence-based decisions. Is that 60 seconds? Uh, <laughs> it's ever so slightly over, but we'll forgive you. Because <laughs> I think you actually did one of the nice things, which was to, to talk about the, the subject more broadly, because we recently spoke with Mike Watson, who's in Sydney, and he was talking about how the society has grown, and he thinks that part of this is just the ability of the, the field to promote itself, yeah. um, but also, as you say, like there are more complex tools that yes. allow you to do the work more easily. Yeah, 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 that's right, yes. Wonderful. So your work makes you an excellent candidate to be a member of the Society for Mathematical Biology, right? Um, but why are you a, a member and what are the benefits for you personally? <laughs> okay, that's a... Tricky question. Well, I guess a, a, a tongue-in-cheek reason, you know, would be that uh, I'm really a member of the Society for Mathematical Biology because I secretly believe that uh, solving complex mathematical equations about ecosystems will finally help me figure out why my home plants keep dying. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, no, on a, on a more serious note, I, I'm uh, really a, a member of the Society because I think I, like many people, recognize uh, the profound impact that mathematical modeling can have on understanding and solving critical issues in uh, biology and medicine. And I guess you could say my passion for both mathematics and biology has led me to explore uh, innovative ways to apply mathematical principles to complex biological systems. And by being part of this society, you also have access to a community of experts 
who share the same sort of dedication to advancing our understanding of life through mathematics. Beautiful. I like that very much. <laughs> so the SMB has a position that it refers to as a fellow. Can you tell us what that is? And as an SMB fellow yourself, what does it mean for you? How do you think it advances the mission of SMB? Okay, I, at the risk of blowing my own trumpet, but you know, I sort of, I mean, SMB itself, according to SMB, a fellow of the uh, Society for Mathematical Biology, they say, it's not my words, there's a prestigious recognition awarded to individuals who have made significant and sustained contributions to the field of mathematical biology. And, so, and fellows are typically recognized for their, they say, for their outstanding research leadership and impact on the advancement of mathematical modeling and analysis in the biological sciences. Uh, so I guess to become a fellow of the Society for Math Biology, an individual usually needs to meet specific criteria and I guess then be nominated by their peers within the society. Okay. And do you feel like you get a particular benefit from being a fellow? Yeah, I think, you know, it, it is a sort of honor within the mathematical biology community. And I suppose it, it does signify that, uh, that the individual has made some sort of impact on the field uh, and also acknowledges their commitment to ad advancing the understanding of biological systems through uh, mathematical approaches. From a uh, personal perspective, being elected to the SMB Fellow is a recognition of my work. And I, I sort of take it as a call to continue uh, this leadership in advancing the field. I think it advances the mission of SMB, for example, uh, by promoting excellence in research, interdisciplinary collaboration, uh, at the same time mentorship and the application of mathematics to solve you know, quite important biological challenges. Yeah. <laughs> I love that you have the crutch to be able to say, this is not what I'm saying. This is what they're saying. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so this is a podcast about mathematics and biology. And most but not all people have some bias in terms of their research as to which way they lean. So are you team math or team bio? Well, you know, I have to confess, I, you know, I avoided biology all the way through high school and, you know, all the way through school. Uh, so, you know, I am team math. Although with time, I now realize how fascinating biology is. And, you know, I now feel I could have become team bio as well. So, but team, team math, essentially, I think. Wonderful. Yeah. So again, we were, we were speaking to Mike about this. He said essentially the same thing, except he also pointed out that despite being a mathematician, he spends most of his time reading biological papers because yeah. of the rate at which some of these fields advance. Yes. No, no, that's absolutely true because I guess throughout high school i mean my aversion a bit to biology was that it seemed uh, very encyclopedic in the way that you had to learn it whereas you know mathematics had these few principles from which you could derive the whole sort of mathematical edifice mm -hmm. but working in this interdisciplinary field you find that you are focused on one area and then it's fascinating to learn the, the biology or the biomedical aspects and and then try to sort of come to a deeper understanding of why these occur so yeah. so when coupled that way it's absolutely fascinating but uh, my bias uh, 
is because I just have a bad memory and, you know, <laughs> lots of things, uh, you know, was <laughs> too challenging. <laughs> well, if it's any consolation, I'm a biologist. I, I also have a terrible memory. So, you know, a lot of it is just trying to apply the, the practical aspects and using um, all the tools we have to, to recall the information without right, having right. to remember it. Right, right, right. So one of my favorite things to ask scientists is their origin story into becoming a researcher. So can you tell us about your journey into your current field of work? My, you know, my journey into, you know, this fascinating world of medicine and biology is really a story of unexpected twists and really serendipitous uh, turns. You know, starting more on the pure side of mathematics, uh, you know, my passion for abstract concepts led me eventually to explore the fascinating realm of fluid dynamics while maintaining a keen interest in applying, say, functional analysis uh, uh, to prove well-posedness of the underlying models. So this would be proving existence and uniqueness of solutions, continuous dependence. So, so more on the purer aspects, but destiny clearly uh, had other plans for me. Uh, <laughs> a job offer uh, across the seas brought me from the UK to Canada many years ago, uh, where eventually I, I met and married a physician. Uh -huh. uh, uh, little did I know that this union would be really the catalyst for a new chapter in my intellectual journey. Uh, and in many ways, you could say, I owe my subsequent career in this field to my dear wife. <laughs> I like to think that my transition from the abstract to the practical was not just a change of course, but, you know, I like to think that it was in many ways a transformation of purpose. So today, my research in mathematical medicine essentially bridges the once seemingly distant worlds of mathematics and clinical medicine. At its best, I think you can say this type of work contributes to improving the lives of countless individuals by using the power of mathematics to unravel mysteries of the human body and advance medical science. You know, when I think about it, I think my story reminds us that life's really unexpected detours can lead to remarkable discoveries. And sometimes the most beautiful mathematical equations can heal and save lives. That's a very <laughs> lovely sentiment. I like that. <laughs> So uh, have you ever worked directly with your wife on anything? Well, how my work started off was, you know, this was many, many years ago, when she was a fellow at the hospital for sick children. She had gone to a seminar given by a junior neurosurgeon uh, at that time, Jim Drake, and she had heard him talk about certain clinical conditions and how they didn't know what the pressure was within the brain and the cerebrospinal fluid. And usually, you know, all fellows fall asleep in these seminars. <laughs> He'd sort of suddenly woken up and started making notes, which made all the other fellows a little nervous. And then she gone up to Jim at the end and said, oh, you know, my fiance works in, is this fluid dynamics? He works in fluid. And Jim said, oh, no, 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 this is just high school math. But she put me in touch with him. And, uh, you know, as luck would have it, I probably met the only modest neurosurgeon in. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and the collaboration was very fruitful. And then he's now chief surgeon at the Hospital for Sick Children. And we're still collaborating. So it's been a uh, you know, very fruitful sort of journey, really, in that sense. Wonderful. 
And related to that, so your website says your expertise is in the field of biomechanics and this kind of fluid dynamics. Mm -hmm. And the development of your mathematical models, they inform clinical conditions and diseases. Mm -hmm. So, Can you tell us more about the kinds of diseases that you study and how those fields actually apply to this biological research? Yes, I'll try and give you a sort of potted version of all of it. But, you know, I guess you could say that my expertise can be viewed really as a as a bridge between, uh, you know, the two realms of medicine and mathematics, uh, where the really our attempts, where the mathematical models develop, really serve as powerful tools to try and decipher clinical mysteries or conditions encountered, and really what mathematics brings uh, to this field is precision and clarity to the complex world of healthcare. So if you start with the problem that I initially looked at, which was that of hydrocephalus many years ago, and this was together with the practicing neurosurgeon, here I sort of explore the dynamics of cerebrospinal fluid to the intricacies of, so initially it was to look at hydrocephalus, but then to the intricacies of tumor growth and control where we try to predict the course of disease and the potential avenues for intervention. Uh, so, you know, I like to think of ourselves as we try to be architects of solutions in this realm of clinical medicine. But so hydrocephalus, you know, we were looking at the flow around the ventricles and spinal cord and trying to explain how the pressure increases and how phenomena such as uh, edemas form within brain tissue. Now, later on, I started collaborating with a medical oncologist at Princess Margaret Hospital. And here we're looking at radiation, chemotherapy and surgery. And although, you know, they look like very disparate approaches, but through the use of mathematical models, you can really view them a little bit as interconnected in the tapestry of tumor control and eradication. So I like to think of the work as not just battling disease, but in a sense, orchestrating some sort of symphony of treatments to bring about healing. So you can combine all these three within uh, partial differential equations, et cetera, and then try to optimize the outcome in a sense, right? So my most recent interest in what the last couple of years I've been more focused on, again, with James Drake at SickKids, has been in modeling high-intensity focused ultrasound, which has emerged as a sort of transformative therapeutic modality harnessing essentially the power of sound waves to target and treat medical conditions with precision and minimal invasiveness, and also avoids the side effects of radiotherapy and chemotherapy and things like that. So in essence, I I think I would classify my work and those working in this sort of challenging field of mathematics, not me personally, but there are many others that I could name, who are sort of really like mathematical virtuosos in the theater of clinical medicine. And they're tackling pressing issues and crafting solutions that really hold the promise of improved patient outcomes. Uh, So it's not simply a question of crunching numbers and data. Mm -hmm. I mean, this sort of work can save lives. And that's the most, I think, compelling story of all. Yeah, for sure. So for those of our listeners who might not be kind of experts within the field of neuroscience and neurosurgery. Can you just define uh, some of the terms for us? So hydrocephalus, the CSF, which is the cerebrospinal fluid and the ventricles within the brain. Yes, of course. So, or biomechanics in the context of 
diseases like hydrocephalus and tumor growth is all about really understanding how the mechanical forces and principles of physics really affect the functioning and progression of these conditions within the human body. So in hydrocephalus, uh, uh, the biomechanical aspect really involves studying how cerebrospinal fluid, CSF, which, which you can think of as, as an incompressible fluid, essentially like water, but of course it can, contains many other nutrients, etc., mm-hmm. um, which surrounds the, the brain and spinal cord uh, and flows and interacts with brain tissue and spinal cord tissue. Uh, So biomechanical models in this context help researchers and clinicians understand how changes in the cerebrospinal fluid pressure and flow can impact the brain, leading to symptoms such as increased intracranial pressure, which leads to compression of the brain tissue and hydrocephalus. So by understanding and using mechanics, scientists really develop, can develop better treatments or devices to manage and treat something like hydrocephalus. Now, if I go to tumor growth and control, when it comes to tumors, biomechanics really examines how the growth and mechanical properties of tumors influences their behavior and response to treatment. So biomechanical models here can predict how a tumor might invade surrounding tissues Mm -hmm. or how different treatment approaches, such as radiation, chemotherapy, or surgery, affect tumor growth and patient outcomes. And there's a plethora of other associated things that you can study using these biomechanical methods. So this information essentially is is crucial for tailoring effective treatment plans in the long run. So I guess in essence, biomechanics in the context of these diseases involves applying the principles of physics and mechanics to gain insights into how the body's internal mechanical processes contribute to disease development and progression. And and as I said, this understanding leads eventually to more precise and effective treatments for patients. Tremendous. So obviously we've been speaking about your work, but you told me at some point you are actually currently on sabbatical, which is like this, all academics just dream of going on sabbatical, right? So can you explain, firstly, what is taking a sabbatical means and how are you spending this time? Yes, of course. I mean, so I I should sort of preface this by saying that, you know, I was chair of the Department of Applied Mathematics for over seven years uh, and I just stepped down in July, on July 1st and and Mm -hmm. then shortly after started my sabbatical. So in simple terms, uh, uh, a sabbatical is like a, a career break or a period of time when an individual can take a temporary leave from their regular job or responsibilities. So it's often used by academics like myself to focus on other activities or interests that are related to our field of research expertise. So in my case, I just find it amazing because, you know, as an administrator, although you try to carry on your research, your brain is quite often cluttered with uh, administrative details and headaches. Uh, So in my case, uh, sabbatical means that I'm taking a break from all of these usual academic commitments uh, uh, to engage in specialized research activities. So during this time, I'm going to be visiting several institutions. I'll be making, you know, two, three week visits to institutions in the UK Mm -hmm. uh, and Australia. 
and this will involve collaboration with experts in my field, sharing knowledge and gaining insights from their work. Uh, these visits are often, I mean, I would say they're often mutually beneficial for advancing research and academic exchange. I have a three-month visit to the Indian Institute of Science in Bangalore, and this is a sort of bigger chunk of my sabbatical, and it will be spent there. And this extended uh, stay allows me to really immerse myself in a new uh, environment and work closely with colleagues and uh, researchers at the Institute. Uh, it's an opportunity to conduct research, share expertise, potentially contribute to ongoing projects there or explore new ones. Uh, so overall, I'd say a sabbatical is really a valuable opportunity for personal and professional growth. It allows one to step outside their normal routine, explore new perspectives, collaborate with expertise worldwide, and then bring fresh insights and experiences back to your regular work when you return. It's a chance, I guess, to recharge, learn, and hopefully make significant contributions to your field. Yeah, I mean, I think like any profession, it's easy to get stuck in a rut, yeah. uh, especially if you're doing administrative work. Yes. yes. Uh, <laughs> to be completely absorbed by that. So yeah. yeah, I could see how it would it would definitely help you kind of, as you mm. say, refresh and bring new ideas to problems. Mm. So our episode is now drawing to a close, but before I let you leave, I wanted to ask you a few quick questions to learn who Siv is and not just what he does. So my first question to you is, what are some of the films that would make it to a top 50 list for you? Oh, there are a lot I could sort of reel <laughs> off, but uh, three that come to mind, which, uh, you know, I, I'm sort of cognizant of the fact that I'm, you know, somebody from the previous century. And so I may, <laughs> I may have to remind those youngsters who are there what these films are about. But uh, three that immediately come to my mind, uh, uh, there's a there's a film called Waking Life, uh, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, and 2001 A Space Odyssey. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Waking Life people may not be so familiar with. It's, a, it's an animated film directed by uh, Richard Linkletter. And it follows a nameless protagonist as he sort of experiences a series of philosophical and existential conversations <laughs> yeah, with various characters in a dreamlike reality. Uh, and, and the film really explores the nature of reality, consciousness, and the blurring of dreams in waking life. Uh, it's known for its unique animation style and uh, thought-provoking pro dialogues. And it's, you know, I, it's a sort of thing that not too many people have seen, but well worth watching, I think. And Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, I don't know how many of our young SMB folks would have come across it, but it's a classic Western film starring Paul Newman and Robert Redford. And it tells the story of two charismatic outlaws who rob banks and evade law enforcement in the late, um, I think, 1800s. And the film is known for its humor, action sequences, and the iconic duo's charm as they try to uh, outrun the law. And completely out of the mold of classical westerns and that's one of the reasons i loved it and of course 2001 a space odyssey is a landmark science fiction film directed by as most people know by stanley kubrick and it follows the journey of astronauts and an ai uh, uh named hal right? mm -hmm. 
uh, as they explore a mysterious uh, monolith's influence on human evolution. And again, the film is renowned for its visual effects. Now, I guess maybe a bit, but still actually stands the test of time. Uh, yeah. And for its exploration of human existence and the uh, enigmatic sort of transformation of its protagonist, Dave Bowman, at the end. Uh, and those three stand out, but there are many, many more. But I think that's... Uh, yeah, there always are. Yeah. <laughs> I have to admit that at least the first one sounds like it's one of those films that would make it onto mine and David's yep. wish list and then we just never get around to watching it because you want to watch fluff. <laughs> so what are two of your favourite snacks? Chocolates, you know, uh, in, in all its forms, like bars, bites or truffles uh, and uh, nuts. I love almonds, peanuts, cashews, although I'm told cashews are not too good for you. Too much of it is not good for you. Too much of nothing is good for you. That's true. <laughs> That's my answer to everything these yeah. days. Um, <laughs> and finally, referring back to your life as a mathematician, so what is your favourite medium for writing out your math models? So are you a pen and paper person, chalkboard? Yeah, I, I'm actually un unfortunately still a pen and paper person, followed by chalkboard or whiteboard, but certainly not an iPad. I still haven't got used to the writing on an iPad. Yeah. I so. think if, I, honestly, if you're, if you're writing, the sensation of writing on paper is still yeah. unrivaled. Yes. yes, yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. Beautiful. Well, thank you again so much for your time, Siv. I've very much enjoyed it, and I'm sure our audience will enjoy listening to this too, apart from my minor slip-ups. I think that went really well. Yeah, yeah, no, no, thank you. I sort of enjoyed that. It was a great meeting you, and, you know, I haven't, met David but you know I do know Heiko and uh, Sandy very well yes yes uh, but hopefully at some point I'll bump into both of you <laughs> that would be wonderful yes yeah. all right thank you again okay thanks a lot then Tommy. <laughs> You've been listening to Biology in Numbers, a podcast from the Society for Mathematical Biology and produced by me, Panve Bahia, at Art Science Media. You can learn more about SMB on their website, smb.org, and via social media on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Find links to all of these and some for today's guest in the episode show notes. You can find us on Apple, Spotify, and very likely your favorite podcast platform. So show us some love by making sure you review and subscribe. So uh, I want to say that our episode is now drawing to a close. Thank you so much for, for sharing with us today. Uh, before we let... We were let <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'll, I'll start that one again. Um, before we let you leave, uh, I wanted to ask you a few quick questions. Oh, my God. Um, <laughs> see, this is just to give everybody else a, a boost up. Uh, yeah. Me as the host, I should know what I'm doing and saying. Um, I'll try this again. <laughs>